we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. This will be an Oscar Sprint Profile movie review of Crip Camp, a disability revolution now streaming on Netflix. I am also Mike doing the uh, introduction today because unfortunately Mike won. He can't join us. He threw out his back. He's having a bit of a non-coronavirus related health issue. So we wish him well and, and hopefully he'll be back on MMOW early next week. We'll be turning that around. That's series around pretty quickly because uh we're having an oscar race checkpoint for you at the middle of the week with another special guest coming and that's going to be a fun one we're going to delve into oscar history we're going to talk about quarter one oscar releases that actually went the distance we got a lot of stats on that i was doing math let me just say i was doing math like for hours yesterday in my boredom, in my quarantine boredom, and I'm really proud of myself. It's basic computation, but I was looking up every single Oscar Best Picture winner and uh, Best Picture nominee, and I know when they've been released on the calendar now. I have it all laid out. I'm almost I'm about halfway through the stats, so I'm, I'm weirdly proud of myself. I'm a math nerd in this way, so I'll whittle it down to a couple major numbers for you in that episode, but that's coming. We'll be ha- having a special guest like i said middle of next week and then we'll be doing our third episode in this osp series we'll be reviewing never rarely sometimes always which i was very happy to learn today is coming out on uh, vod so mike and i'll get our hands on it and we'll be able to review that for you all by the end of next week so that's the mmo programming coming up But in terms of today's episode, we are lucky enough to have a guest reviewer, and uh, he's a regular at this point on MMO. It is Andrew of the Nomcast, that is the Netflix Original Movies podcast. We've collaborated five times before this. Last year, uh, I did an episode on Meryl Streep and Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat with him. I went back on his show to plug into the bong hive frenzy that was going on uh, during the ramp up of Parasite's eventual best picture win we also kind of reviewed you know parasite in that episode but its main focus was a filmography on bong joon ho and then we reviewed okja that great netflix original movie from a couple years ago later in last year's oscar season andrew came on with me to review marriage story which we released on both our feeds as we did with the uh, 2020 netflix slate of films in our year and preview series uh, that was an awesome episode where we we took the whole calendar. Who knows how much it will get shaken up with the coronavirus, but we took the whole calendar of Netflix films that we knew at the time, and we kind of dove into each movie and previewed that for you. So that has a long shelf life. Go back and listen to that. Andrew also came on with us, both Mike and I, to review Lost Girls. This was with uh, Amy Ryan and Thomas and McKenzie. That kind of kicked off this quarantine collection series that uh, this episode of Chris camp will also be included in just go to our soundcloud uh, on our playlist tab and click on our the, right on top it'll be the quarantine collection we've done uh, big time adolescence blow the man down the banker and we've been reviewing all of these you know streaming services for you kind of an overview in each episode so that you can get a uh, larger look at each one of these streaming services while you hopefully practice social distancing and stay away from this coronavirus Uh, We really do wish you guys 
you know, all the health and safety in the world throughout this crisis. And uh, hopefully, you know, you'll have fun with us uh, watching movies like we always say. So, I, again, I'm really I'm getting away from my intro here. I'm supposed to be introducing Andrew. Andrew <laughs> from the Nomcast is coming on the show today, and we're always thrilled to collaborate with him. He's definitely our go-to resource on everything Netflix. So I'm excited to dive into this review. See you on the outro. All right, so thanks for doing this today, Andrew. Welcome back. Hey, glad to doing? be here, Mike. Uh, you know, as good as we all can be, right? Quarantine Central, uh, you know, just trying to put out that content for everybody. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough out there. We just called ourselves basement-dwelling nerds, yes. and I'm, <laughs> I'm proud to uh, live up to that, uh, to that name today. And uh, l- at least we got a great movie to review. I mean, this is perhaps the best Netflix documentary thus far. I mean, just get, just getting into it. Are you psyched for this review? I, I literally hope that in somewhere in your post-production, we can put in, uh, the Annie Potts. We got one from ghostbusters in here. Like that's the feeling that I got because I don't know, we've done a decent amount of movies, uh, together and, mm-hmm. you know, with some good ones, but you know, Starting out this year, you know, it's been a tough 2020 stretch, you know, and now we finally have something that might have legs to get to the end of the year. Uh, If we even have more entrees for the rest of the year, it's going to be literally just all Netflix movies at this point. Well, I think that uh, the documentary feature category has burned us time and again, so I'm a little hesitant mm. to send it to all. Like, like, but I, I love this movie just like I loved Won't You Be My Neighbor, just like I loved Apollo 11, and I am already afraid for it. Yeah. You know, going into this upcoming Oscar season, if it ever comes, I, I don't know, man. I, I, hope, uh, I hope this has legs, but I think this movie you know, has pedigree. And I kind of want to get into the filmmakers here because, you know, we got James Lebrecht, who's one of the subjects of the film. He has a uh, sound designer career, 179 credits on IMDb. I wonder if the blemish of Battlefield Earth on his resume might be points off. I definitely was uh, annoyed on his behalf in your show notes (laughs) that of all the things that he's done, you had to list Battlefield Earth of one of them. You got 150 titles. It's listed at top IMDb, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a little digging, man. Give the guy some. I I am Just because IMDb slighted the man doesn't mean you have to as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Pitch Black is one of my favorite, like, sci-fi monster movies. Sure. And he did the sound on that. So James Lebrecht, you know, kicking ass with Pitch Black there. His co-director is Nicole Noonham, and uh, she's been a producer, writer, director on all. She's been a documentarian, essentially. So they had this, like, 15-year friendship, and then this one lunch meeting right where jim pitches this whole project to her and he basically said hey i i I always wanted to do a movie about my summer camp i can't imagine her face like what if somebody told you that (laughs) unless you're you know judd apatow or david wayne you're probably not thinking that's gonna work (laughs) but apparently he sits down at a lunch meeting and he blows her away i mean when she's talking about this you know at sundance interviews and whatnot she's talking about how she immediately bought into it just like higher ground productions with michelle and president barack obama i mean they immediately bought into this movie and it, it's high praise because this is their follow-up to the to the oscar winner american factory so again this movie does have, have pedigree yeah i mean to be honest there's a few heroes in this story i mean the chance meeting mm-hmm. here with two you know longtime friends longtime collaborators that you just laid out uh you also have sarah boulder 
as one of the other uh, producers as well, who also had a former sound editor career with some big time movies with uh, T2, Saving Private Ryan, Jurassic Park, Lost World. You know, real credits, not Battlefield Earth. I do my job here, Mike. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, one of the articles I read said that the whole thing would have not happened if it wasn't for uh, executive producer Howard Gertler, uh, who set up the actual Obama higher ground meeting. So, you know, that's a big deal. And shout out to Howard uh, because he worked on a movie that I actually worked on. That's right. Uh, that nice. I mentioned before on the podcast. I worked on a movie called Short Bus uh, back in oh, uh, 2005, that. 2006. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's definitely a weird one. <laughs> uh, it was a weird set. I can tell you that much. Um, but he was the producer of that film as well. Uh, and now he's using his uh, pedigree to set up the Obama meeting. And it's a much different experience for the Obamas this time going around because American Factory was a completed mm -hmm. product. They basically acquired that and got it, you know, moving as far as distribution was concerned. Now, gotcha. So they just need a good taste for that one. This one they shepherded. Yeah, this one they saw some clips. They got the pitch, and they were able to go through the notes process for the first time with the Obamas and do that process. So actually, being full hands-on producers for this one versus American Factory. I'm not going to lie. This movie is far more polished as a piece of entertainment than American Factory was. Like, I always talk about, uh, you know, documentaries sometimes being like vegetable movies. American Factory was a total, you know, just a plate full of vegetables. I mean, yeah. there was, they, it had its moments, but it was a tough watch. Like, this is a joyous watch. Like, this is a crowd pleaser. This is a showstopper. This is a different film. And I wonder, I wonder if Mr. and Mrs. Obama, they're just naturals at this whole thing. If they, if they actually shepherded this movie, you know, from, you know, pre-production stages, they, they might be... Uh, uh, they might be in the right line of work. I can't believe I'm saying that. Even though I want them in other lines of work nowadays, they might be doing right. Well, and they're uh, going outside the demo uh, documentary game for the next one as well. Uh, I don't know if you oh, read good. this. They're actually doing a, uh, a movie called Exit West starring Riz Ahmed uh, from The Night Of, if you saw that on HBO. Excellent. Um, yeah, and he's obviously, great. I think he was, what, in Rogue One or one of the other Star Wars mm -hmm. films as well. Um I don't know. Was it wrote? Yeah. Oh boy. Now I'm, I'm blank. I know. I, I forget. I know. Jeez. Um, but uh, that movie is actually co-produced between Higher Ground and the Russo brothers. So they're actually getting into actual fiction work uh, and have signed that deal. And that's going to be a Netflix film as well. So uh, they don't stop, man. Like they got the awards, and you know they got something that's in the can right here that is ready for people and is really good and. Now, they're almost like appointment viewing now. I totally wanted to see this movie uh, from from the trailer. Uh, I, I haven't seen a better documentary film trailer in a long damn time. I mean, that that two minutes made me almost cry. I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I almost cried just watching the trailer. Yeah. And then by the end of it, I'm like standing up. I want to, I'm so hyped. I want to stand up and cheer. So I guess we can get into expectations because everybody knows it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, Sundance Award winner, best film at the Miami Film Festival. You kind of know the premise by now. Uh, what were your expectations going into to Crip Camp? Well, like you said, I mean, all the, the awards pedigree, definitely the Sundance uh, buzz that came out of there was the real selling point between that and the mm -hmm. trailer that came out not around the same time 
this was really a great campaign that got started early and is, you know, it, it's fulfilling its destiny here. I mean, but going into it, yeah, I was definitely hoping for the best. I wanted another uh, Oscar run for a documentary for them. They're so good at it. This was, you know, one of the only, I'm between this and uh, Dick Johnson is dead coming up. That also got a lot yeah. of Sundance buzz. Netflix has a few competitors already in the ring. And with obviously what's going on in the world right now, you know, who knows how many more are going to be uh, left in the ring when all is said and done. So hopefully uh, this is as good or better than Dick Johnson is dead. And then we can all have a nice race and something to talk about for the rest of the year. I can't imagine a film entitled Dick Johnson is Dead is more of a crowd pleaser than this one. But then again, this that one branch. This named Crip Camp, Mike. What are we yeah, doing but here? This, this movie is just like, oh my God, stand up and cheer and clap for everybody and feel good about the world. Sure. And we need, like, this is the movie we need at this moment, isn't it? It's, like, it's impossible to watch this movie and not feel inspired at the end. So I definitely want to highly recommend this thing right, right off the bat before we get into this whole non-spoiler review. I mean, th- this is one of those movies that you will benefit from i think and uh i i was glad like this helped me i watched it each of the last two nights i've been down in the dumps i've been a couch potato person like i said on the last episode and i think uh this rejuvenated me i will say uh i will echo your sentiments about uh crying while watching this (laughs) i did tear up at uh several different moments i think i even wrote in my notes that i think about five or six minutes in was the first time i started crying and that is insane (laughs) for a movie because half of that is credits right so we're we're talking uh, a strong level up level stuff uh, for how quick i was to tears on that one uh the other thing is that weirdly the last three netflix movies i've watched one older and two newer uh, mm-hmm. all kind of like really, you know, epitomized what we're like right now. The platform being one of those. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what? yeah, the platform is one of those weirdly enough. Cause if <laughs> you see everything, Mike, so I expect that you have seen these other two films, but between this one, the platform, mm-hmm. you know, this one's obviously the, the sugar coated version, like as far as, It's a nice story. It's a crowd pleaser, like you said. It's got a lot of championing moments, a story from Triumph. The platform has... I'm so afraid what you're about to say here. (laughs) The platform has kind of like this social sociological experiment to it to where it kind of teaches Mm -hmm. you to, you know, only take what is needed, you know, look out for other people. Now, yes, there is a bunch of murder, suicide, and other things in that movie. Cannibalism. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But there are, you know, real moments of compassion for other people, trying to take what is needed, not stealing all the toilet paper in the world, you know, you crazy people. <laughs> so it kind of had that message. So I was like, oh, okay, there's that aspect to it. And then uh, I watched uh, a movie from 2017, also I believe a Sundance winner, mm-hmm. uh, with I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, my God. That That is a weird film to watch. But I, I did see that back in the day a couple yeah. years ago. That's a weird film to watch right now. I don't know how I would take that one. Well, so obviously the title onto itself is kind of... Terrible you know, title. Oh, it's just awful. Well, <laughs> but obviously it speaks to a lot of the anxiety that people are having right now. So I felt like that yeah. was that. And it's kind of like this taking up 
you know, pride in yourself, almost like in a vigilante way, obviously, but, Mm. you know, suburban level vigilante, which is kind of, you know, how we're feeling right now where it's like, you know, feeling, you know, we have no power right now. We have kind of this Mm. feeling of anxiety and, and not knowing what to do with ourselves or how to improve our situations and wanting better for ourselves. So between those three movies, I felt like a lot of, things were taking shape and i'm glad this was the icing (laughs) it was the last of the three so it kind of pulled me out of where i was with the other two films and gave me the optimistic one that i was hoping for (laughs) it is optimistic and uh it it starts off with some challenging music though like you get buffalo springfield uh for what it's worth you get freedom from richie havens i mean you get some vintage 1960s you know, you know, the songs of the era, right, to start this thing off or just, you know, crying for, you know, political uh, uh, disagreement and all the protests. I mean, these are songs of the time and and that's how we start. But they're also like these, you know, these happy, they they sound happy, but you listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh, my God. And all that's, you know, overlaying like home videos of these little kids playing or people at the camp being all happy. It was such a juxtaposition. I, I thought they started off with a bang. Well, it is by law, if you do a movie that's set in the late 60s, early 70s, that mm-hmm. you have to play For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield. It, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't hear Fortunate Son. That is the only other one that is allowed, <laughs> yes, that is naturally it. needed in any of these films. Uh, I saw online people being like, yeah, Richie Havens is there because you know Obama's a huge fan. And I was like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's exactly why. But they were making the point... Uh, obviously with that the camp was right down the road from Woodstock itself and that you know obviously they were having their own freedom and rejuvenation so I think it was very apropos and I dug it too yeah and then later in the film they got Crimson and Clover from uh, Tommy James and the Shondells for the little you know camper love hooking up montage which I thought was hilarious and again apropos of the time i i just thought you know like in terms of production values the music was was a major highlight this is like a soundtrack i would listen to on my own yeah no it seems like a labor of love uh, I, I i could definitely see the influence coming from them if you told me that this was an obama nod or something that he had i totally believe that he's a cool cat during that time period i, I would totally see that happening I'm sure if we did a little digging, not a lot of digging, we would find like Obama playlists with the with this music on there. Yeah, it's just it definitely. And, I, I it definitely feels like you know it's just him and Questlove just hanging out, going, "What should I put in my, <laughs> uh, you know, documentary here?" That would be cool. Yeah, totally. I, to be a fly on that wall, oh my god, it'd be wonderful. But in terms of the editing, you know, you're just going back and forth between the black and white archival footage, the cover color. Uh, the in-color archival footage and, uh, you know, the interviews, the modern-day interviews with these people and where they're at now. I mean, it's just a simple one, two, three kind of deal. And yet, this movie's got a ton of momentum. There's a great balance. You don't get bogged down in one of th- any one of those three. I thought they did a beautiful job editing this. Yeah, I thought, to, well, so full disclosure. So I've watched the movie twice, and the first time mm-hmm. I watched it, certain things hit me like I didn't think they showed a lot of people actually on screen with the interviews a lot so I think they did Mm kind of sideline that one a little bit they used it when they needed to to really kind of like if someone's telling a story or something that they didn't have footage for I feel like they Mm -hmm. you know 
uh, relied on that more. But um, and definitely the way they kind of tell the story uh, through James Lebrecht at times, and then they go back and forth between that too. So obviously they have a lot more footage of him, like home video stuff, because it's his movie, he's co-directing. So you get a lot more footage for that too. So my one thing when I first was watching it that I felt weird, I guess is a term (laughs) that, you know, because it is, he's co-directing, and I felt he wasn't as compelling as some of the other characters, and we can get into that later, um, that I felt whenever it cut back to him and his story, I was like, all right, this guy again. But second time through, I see how absolutely necessary it is and how much it actually works to get the story to move, especially because it's moving destinations and everything else, that it kind of needs it to prop it up the way they edit it. So. Yeah, so in terms of the narrative device, I think he is kind of like the Herald, if you put it in screenwriting jargon sure. like we know. You know, he's like the Herald. He gets us into the story, and, and he's literally the guy saying, this is the story I want to tell. And to me, like, I didn't know he was a co-director of the film. Like, you, you did your research beforehand. I found that out afterwards, yeah. and I, it blew my mind. But, you know, like, for me going in... There was a point in the middle of the movie where I kind of lost me. Maybe it was because we checked back in with him, and th- and I'll talk about this in spoilers. But we checked back in with him, and then we had yada yada yada. Here's their lives, you know, after the camp, blah blah blah. Right. And then at the end, we check, you know, he bookends the film, which is just blew me blew my mind at the end of the film the way they handled that. Right. But I think uh, I th- I think you're right. I think there's a there's a point in the middle maybe like a 10 minutes that's a soft 10 minutes and i think they're trying to be fun with it because it's it's kind of you know the the cool berkeley scene that they're talking about yeah but i i had i struggled like i i started to drift towards the laptop at that point and in, in both wa- of my watches as well so yeah maybe we'll get into that in terms of the subtitles the captions the information that they're putting on screen though you know you have a few subjects that are suffering from cerebral palsy and, you know, most notably, Denise Shearer Jacobson is, a, is another POV, like you said. There's multiple POVs, point of views in this film. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, these formal subtitles, like you see in every movie, right, this felt like these bright bubble letters, and they would pop up as she would speak. It almost felt like watching a karaoke video. Yeah. And, of course, she is just full of smiles so it was really a joy to watch it was so different than your typical dreary documentary like if i watch meeting gorbachev if i finish (laughs) watching meeting gorbachev tonight i'm bored by those subtitles these were perky fun happy subtitles and you know it it, it's something to pay tribute to these characters and giving them that you know that kind of artistry i I loved it i thought i thought it really worked yeah i thought that was a good idea uh especially considering that you know people can get really bogged down with language and not being able mm-hmm. to fully understand. I mean, you get it even when you're watching Oasis behind the music. I don't think I've understood one word that Liam Gallagher <laughs> has ever said. Uh, and they at least recognize that by putting subtitles even in there behind the music. And he speaks English. So, you know, things can get muddled uh, with subtitles sometimes. And obviously with people talking because you don't want to be insulting. And you mm-hmm. and it and this movie is the opposite of cold these people are very like you said warm and bubbly people so it was nice to kind of see the words almost dance with some of these stories that they had going on and it was very on point uh and and 
I'm surprised I've never really seen that before in a documentary, but this definitely worked. She's dropping f bombs and she's hilarious, so that that helps too. That that she's just a, a hilarious uh, subject for a documentary. Her but and her husband. I, I, I did, yeah, they they were great uh, in terms of the you know we usually review performances. I guess in this case, we'll talk about we'll talk about the live action subjects. I mean, Judy Human. Oh my God, I would follow her to battle, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, she just what a, a what a leader. I mean, and you could tell she was that kind of leader at 23 years old when she's a counselor at this camp early in the movie. Yeah, I, I, I think back at this movie, and that's going to be probably be my biggest takeaway. Like, this person should be recognized as one of the greatest American heroes, and hopefully this movie will do that. Yeah, and that was, again, after first watch, I felt that she was so compelling that for mm. this movie to be bookended with somebody else, I initially felt, weird about it i de- i've definitely right. felt like they could have made a documentary about her by herself and yeah talk about the camp as an experience and all these other people that influenced her and and get stories from other people that definitely show her story and i almost felt like cheated because i'm like every time she was on the screen i was like yeah i want to know her opinion about this because she's mm. she's the leader she's the orchestrator she's the person who did all this so you know, sometimes I did feel like, oh, okay, we'll go over here and talk to this person. But obviously, you're seeing the camp mentality as the driver of the documentary. And that's why yeah. upon second viewing, it crystallizes a little bit more that it's less of an issue. Because I don't think you're losing a whole ton. But you are gaining the perspective that she wanted. That she wanted in that group that everybody gets a voice and that everybody gets to be heard and that everybody is on equal footing. These are all just people. And she never wanted to be this standout person. She just wanted the rights that everybody deserved. And I think that's really the way they told this documentary. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I think the doc practices literally in its format what she preached throughout the film and throughout the camp and throughout the rest of her life working for the Clinton White House and the Obama White House and with all her activism that that paid off huge dividends. I I can't agree more. And I, yeah, I I just walk away, like my biggest takeaway, Judy Human, H-E-U-M-A-N-N. Look her up, people. Look look up the Wikipedia. Even if you don't watch this movie, she is an American hero. But I, I wanted to talk to you about the kind of the tone of this movie because I, th- I felt it was so refreshingly different than tones we get from a lot of these quote unquote issue docs that we we get every single Oscar season that we all have to watch because you know you walk away from a lot of those at worst sympathetic and at best empathetic right and you walk away saying all right these are the less fortunate situations around the world that we should be aware of and that we should help out. This is not that movie at all. This movie is, we're just watching these joyful life experiences of all these subjects. We're being shown some of their happiest moments. And I found myself saying, damn, I want to go to this camp. I want to have fun with these people. This looks like a blast for much of the film. I mean, obviously they're going through shit, but this is unbelievable, unbelievably fun. Yeah, it's it's amazing how they were so smart in realizing that you know, the camp is one thing, but they also show you the big scope. And the one thing mm-hmm. kind of to your point 
is that they don't try to sell you anything. They literally just tell you these this triumphant story, the, this this different perspective of how to look at a whole subsection of people that get overlooked every day that deserve the respect of society that deserve to be treated like everyone else and obviously you know the tone of the movie speaks for itself in terms of they're going to play it unsympathetic because mm-hmm. they don't want to be sympathized they they barely want to be empathized they just want to be like everybody else so if you play the movie that way then mission accomplished for what they want as well like you said uh it's kind of uh, some movies come in with the agenda already set and i think this one once they dug through the footage once they talked to the people they kind of let the people dictate the mood instead of trying to set the mood based on the subject and right it's not manipulative right they kind of, it felt very natural and and for it to not you know end the movie with hey listen we got a lot of work to do go to this website do whatever none of that was there it's tell the story and let people be inspired from it from there and let the marketing team do all the other stuff which by the way they do so (laughs) you'll probably uh you know now that the movie's out i'm sure we'll see a whole lot of stuff from them and well deserved Uh, and like you said you not only want to be a part of this camp you want to be a part of that process you wanted to be there but you also now, you know, especially in this day and age, you, you want to help people. You know, a lot of people in a crisis situation like the one we're in, you either look inward and just try to bury yourself and hope it all goes back to normal. Or yeah. maybe you look around and you try to help others, people who maybe don't have as good a situation as you do in times like this. So, you know, this movie kind of inspired me in that way as well. I totally walk away from it just feeling feeling like the world can be such a better place than it is, or at least, you know, my uh, my perception of how it is right now. And it's just been so negative with all the news, with everything. Oh, my God, this is the perfect timing for this film. So I really hope it finds an audience. What I wanted to ask you now, and I guess I'll ask myself the same thing, is this movie snubbable? Like, we have seen these, you know, number one contender documentaries knocked off their pedestal because they're the number one contender in many ways and because they're crowd pleasers but i don't know if this film is snubbable because we have these subjects that that mean so much to our history we have the obamas behind it they give the, you know their pedigree by being involved to me like i i cannot see this getting nixed out of the any best documentary five it's got to be there I can't see it either. I mean, you know, like for all the reasons you just said, I mean, you have literally, uh, you know, somebody who just won, uh, which is actually probably the only reason, which is so dumb. <laughs> Don't even get me started on how the Oscars work. But some people will be like, you know, they just won. We don't need to give them another win. They don't, you know. And obviously there's the Netflix effect, but I think documentaries operate a little bit outside of the Netflix effect only Mm -hmm. because, you know, the competition is less. So I would hope that this doesn't get snubbed, at least as far as nominations are concerned. I mean, we haven't obviously seen what the rest of the field is going to bring, but definitely, you know, you watch more stuff than me, but I would think 
nothing else is competing with it right now and we're in not even close april so you know that's we're a quarter of the way through but you know a lot of things got pushed back so we'll see i mean who else is truly in the documentary game you know obviously amazon prime usually has one or two that's gonna you know come out uh you know i honestly don't know who's moving stuff up or trying to to i haven't heard anything floated and I listen to a ton of movie podcasts, including your own, and you guys are dialed in. I haven't heard anything outside of what's come out of Sundance that you know has has any legs right now. So I'll be interested to see what happens, but I, I can't see the snub. I'm setting myself up for another huge disappointment. I know, and then we, we're going to have to reverse jinx this somewhere along the line. I don't want to do. I don't want to do it on the on the Oscar Sprint Profile movie review though, because it, it's just, it's that good. And hopefully everybody watches it, and hopefully everybody just leaves it there as the number one contender all the way through. It could be like a Godfather one, Godfather two, back to back. Sure. Just 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 pick this movie. So all right, let's jump into spoilers now. Spoilers ahead. This is. A spoiler warning. Spoilers. 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 Mike, Mike, and Oscar! Oscar Sprint Spoilers! All right, this is the spoiler section. This is where you want to be if you've seen the film or if you don't care about spoilers or if you listen to the first half and you just have to hear what uh, Andrew and I have to say about the second half. And again, you don't mind the plot details. We're going to go through all the best and worst and all the all the fun of this movie and, and dissect it a little more here for you now. So, Andrew, I, I really wanted to talk about the like the, the screenwriting structure because... We have some anecdotes in this movie, most notably Judy Human's anecdote about how she kind of went around her block as a child with all of her friends, and she bumps into this, you know, this group of kids, and one turns to her and goes, "Are you sick?" Yeah. And this like defined her life. She's like six or seven years old. Number one, she's able to her and a pack of kids are able to just travel around New York City in a roving band of uh, miscreants, which is a different world. Yeah, I must say I was very envious with the neighborhood aspect (laughs) of all that footage. It was amazing. But, you know, I I said before, like, I didn't think this movie was manipulative, and yet she is kind of framing her story in this well. I mean, she's a practice politician at this stage in her her life, and she is able to crystallize that moment that sparked her activism, and then we're able to get that visual storytelling of her walking around the block with her friends. This comes back and packs a wallop later in the movie when she literally, you know, on— in front of a microphone after after you know the the bill passes and somebody signs it she goes i want people to know we're not sick yeah. that we are we are regular pe-. and she makes the, she interweaves it into her speech like it floored me and it another moment that brought tears to my to my eyes in this movie was was when she worked in that and that's through an anecdote that's brilliant writing yeah. if the, if this was a narrative feature yeah, no, uh, there's a bunch of those moments. That is definitely her crystallized moment that definitely, you know, really hits home and kind of, 
you know sells that message that we've been talking about this whole time of just being able to to be looked at not as your disease or your mm-hmm. your handicap but just as a person a person with needs and a person who is just like everybody else so obviously that that is necessary and emotionally a gut punch uh for for how people are treated also just keep in mind for everybody this is not the 1800s Th- these people are alive these people are were in the 60s and 70s this is not that long ago uh you know this is my parents generation and it feels like you know so antiquated a lot of this not that obviously a lot of these things are 100 percent soft but man does it make it look like the late 60s and early 70s were so behind the times uh, and and cruel in a sense in terms of how uh, handicapped people uh, were were treated. So you have that. And then obviously there was even another one. I think it's in the first six or seven minutes when James mm-hmm. is setting up his story. He says that his sister Lindsay was a brownie, but they wouldn't let him into Cub Scouts and that the barriers were all over the place, even on a small level like that. That yeah. just hurts when it's like. And then before when before she told that story of like being looked at as sick, you heard Judy's tale of trying to get into school. She had to be homeschooled just because they thought because she couldn't walk, she would be a fire hazard, a fire oh. hazard. That's insane. Uh, you know, and now obviously, and she eventually got into a special education program. But my God, you know, is uh, the cruelty of the language of some of these people in, you know, make decision making, whether it's the government people later uh, or whether it's the people in their lives when they're kids uh, on a bureaucratic level. It's unbearable to hear what they went through. And I work sometimes uh, near. Uh, an abandoned, not an abandoned, but they shut down, you know, in Newtown there, mm-hmm. those, the, the former mental hospitals. And it is a monolith to that area. It is just, that is the area. They put their town hall there now and everything else, but it is scary. It looks like a horror movie. And, you know, this is not the first film where you see the, 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 the real life, you know, behind the scenes footage of those mental hospitals. And that Geraldo, I've seen that Geraldo expose before, it, it, it blows your mind how people were just discarded for for years, and it's and it's not that long ago. I, I can't, and, and then that's like that's one of those horrific moments in this movie where you're just like, oh my god, I I I can't start to register that horror. And then what do they do at that moment? They they bring you this person who was at the camp, and they talk about how they would just keep eating because they they couldn't believe all the food. And it's just this touching moment. It made me cry in my second viewing when I actually realized what the hell they were talking about. This person was institutionalized, got to go to the camp for some reason, you know, gratefully. Yeah. And all they cared about was just having that meal and then wouldn't stop eating because they're so happy to eat the food. I am a food-based person. <laughs> that broke my heart. That tore my heart asunder when I heard that. The kid, the kid just wanted to eat some, you know, this glorious food and the camp food couldn't have been that good no i'm sure oh my god so this movie's packed full of moments like that even in the setup of what you're saying before with jim lebrecht showing him as a baby just playing with the bath bath water yeah. and the faucet yeah and how happy he was and then you get the anecdote 
about, you know, the fact that he can't join the Cub Scouts. Like, it just blows your mind. And the, the way they show it, though, is incredible. Uh, the back-to-back, like, those juxtapositions, just the, the, the super happy, the super sad. Like, it is a bit of a, a roller coaster, but I don't know about you, but I found myself feeling way more up than down, even despite some of the heavier moments. Yeah, no, totally agree, because even... Even with that moment that it just absolutely grossed me out with the Geraldo uh, Rivera, which shout out to Geraldo for back when he was actually a reporter and not a cartoon character. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that footage, like I said, is absolutely gross. It it, it made me feel horrible about society and what happened to them. And and like you said, you know, we keep saying it, it, it wasn't that long ago. And how things have changed or, you know, we perceive to be changed, Uh, you know, and even then they use it as a as a time to show that sliding doors moment where it could have been so different for all of them and how the camp basically saved their lives as well as obviously being the catalyst for the rest of this movie. So those moments are absolutely incredible and well worth it. But you're right. I, I would say for the most part, I'm either laughing or inspired uh, it's it's one of those typical uh movie reviews right where where it's this glowing movie it's like i laughed i cried i did you know it's like all those you know over the top reviews. it's true but it's actually true uh i did all those things and it you know it eventually will make you smile at least at the end of this movie versus you know some of those documentaries which suck the life out of you no i'm laughing and crying in the same scene like there's a moment where <laughs> This girl, this girl with like severe, I, I believe it's cerebral palsy, but she she has it severe and she can barely get a word out. Mm. And it, they're going around the table at the camp. It's in the first half hour and Judy's running, you know, one of her sessions there and they're giving the microphone to everybody. And this girl is just she's just, you know, breaking her turn. But then the film crew comes to her and she's, she's got her head turned to the side and she's just yelling. And you don't know what she's yelling, but then she turns and the microphone is there and you get this glorious smile. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. and then I'm so happy. And then I'm, 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 I'm happy for her. In that scene and later in the film we see her with her own apartment we see this woman you know in this self uh this self-sufficient lifestyle and 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 she's got things to say and she's and she's got a life to live and it doesn't let you just sit in that one moment it wasn't this just you know go, let's gloss by this one moment no they give us the epilogue for her character too so this mo- this movie is filled with with things like that these threads that they follow through on i, I love that so much uh i guess i wanted to talk about the the camp director larry allison yeah, he's a you character <laughs> how does he get away with digging holes because he thought the kids are kind of clumsy and he thought it would be funny if they tripped how does he get away with that and then you know immediately at, like that's an evil joke like you could sure get stripped but it's all right, he's having fun with it. It's I guess if you can, you know, if you can break balls. I mean, that's that's the height of equality right there. You know, we we're equal opportunity ball breakers, so there you go. Yeah. Uh I think uh I think the fact that he 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 drops that dig, right? Literally. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says something super profound, right? Uh, minutes later, he says the the problem, you know, I started this camp because there wasn't a problem with people with disabilities. I started this camp because the problem existed with people without disabilities. Yeah. So we had to change. 
And then you're like, holy shit, this hippie knows what the <laughs> hell he's talking about. And he changed the world with this camp. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously the social movement era. So you're coming out of civil rights. You're getting into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Vietnam era, you know, which obviously plays a part in this movie as well. Uh, with you know the people coming back from the war a lot more people are disabled for you know reasons of being in war so they kind of join up with the the campaign as well this movement that's been going on and that i think is it's it's entered but it's kind of downplayed i think it's got to be a huge thing because you're getting this whole section of people that are coming into this population that is in the midst Mm -hmm of a struggle and then they get this push with this you know just swarm of people and very motivated people who are just recently handicapped uh you know so i think they they play it well they get it in there but man i was like oh god that had to be so huge for that to happen but yeah so i mean there's so many things going on social politically that this is a story that belongs to all of that I mean, you even get uh, later in the film when they're doing the sit-in, you know, which is very Mm -hmm. much something of its time with the, you know, post-civil rights era, you know, that, you know, they learned all those lessons from that. Plus, they actually had the aid of the Black Panthers at one point bringing them food. I mean, it's this incredible story that, you know, brings together so many different walks of people to help champion this subsection of society it's it's impressive and inspiring the uh the camp is just the first 30 or so minutes of it and then i thought like this movie's gambling by leaving the camp like they could have done a whole thing about the camp the whole movie and just been happy for it and then show you the epilogue of what the camp you know it it turned into it turned all these activists basically turned them on and acted them and later on in life they would go on to do great things no this movie shifts away from the crip camp at the 35 minute mark and then you get like the judy human story like we referenced before you get the geraldo expose you get the description of section 504 on the bill that would become judy human's life's life's work or at least the the early part of her life there and this is a strong 20 minutes in terms of transitioning because you have the uh, the Shearer story, you have the Judy Human kind of, you know, starting her legal career story. And then there's like a, a, a 10 or 10 minutes where all these former campers head to Berkeley. Yeah. And you get, you get those epilogues on some of the campers, like I said, that are bright spots. But you also, you know, you, you, the movie kind of suffers from there, but you don't realize the, the the power of the 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 opening of the film until you see how their friendship basically spurred the meetings later in life to the things they had to change and then and then they're taking on what Judy Human in that ten minute story set up you know with the with the sit in which becomes the centerpiece of the film the climax the 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 crisis of the film I, I just thought that was brilliant story structure you don't get to see that that often. And and with the power that 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 this movie has, so that should be heralded no matter what. Yeah, I mean, there's two things with that because you, you you did reference that kind of lull that kind of happens, and and it's basically right in that transition because uh, yeah. you're still following uh, James's story uh, to go from him moving out to uh, going to college, 
graduating high school, going to college. So it kind of plants him in California. Then you're hearing mm-hmm. him kind of like try to get his feet, who he's hanging out with. And you're kind of like, okay, this is in a bit of a lull. And then, you know, but eventually it gets him to go out to, to Berkeley and to going to Grateful Dead concerts and then meeting up with former campers and then getting tied back into that community. They start that institute out in Berkeley as well, where it's basically a way of living, a living center for people with disabilities run by people who have disabilities, which sets up where we go next incredibly well with the, the sit-in and having to rely on each other to kind of get them through this scenario where even people who don't have disabilities would have cracked to to not have the ability to have warm water to no electricity oh or no no meals and relying on people's help then add all the disabilities in and then you obviously see that they've been training for this for for yeah. for 5 10 years at this point at least through the camp perspective so even though i think it does l- kind of hit a bit of a lull there it's so important the actual information that they get through there but i totally agree and that was part of what i was saying before about the the way they told the story that i was like you know i don't know if having james as kind of being this person that you're kind of following through the entire movie touchstone or right right, right. uh, as kind of like the silent narrator of sorts kind of that you know he but he's so important to get the glue to get them to go from one piece to another because it's really hard to get all those other pieces of information if you're not following him as a through line. So I appreciate it more on second viewing. Yeah. And I think that second viewing made me realize that what they did essentially was follow the characters. It's not like you went from one group of characters here and then, all right, we're back to this guy, and then we meet all these new people. The people working at that institute to basically help, you know, d- disabled folks, you know, carry on a daily life and set them up with all the services, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the same faces. Like Jim's girlfriend is is giving, you know, one of those one-to-one meetings, helping this disabled woman to uh, to live on, on her own in an apartment. And that's the same face you saw when she was a little kid at the camp. Yeah. And they're all the same faces. That's what blew me away upon rewatch. I didn't necessarily notice that my first time through. Yeah, I noticed that you get the, uh, you know, the 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 Shearer story. You get the, uh, the the Judy Human story, but all the other faces you you continue to see. You know, all these kids all grown up. You know, making shit happen uh, for the better, and it, and it's just it's heartwarming stuff. So I was gonna say they highlight so many times in this movie to be like. Look, this former counselor was at this rally with this person, and then they cut mm-hmm. back to like a scene from the camp where it's those two together making like some solid, you know, bond, and that they later make it in a in a rally sense, or they do it at some demonstration, or they do it at that MLK demonstration thing that they did. There's so many of those moments where they literally show pictures of them at the camp together, and then pictures of them at a demonstration or picture them as roommates or picture that like something Mm -hmm. later on in life that is so poignant uh, and it's impressive to watch. And, and as you were saying, and we kind of touched on earlier, I'm impressed by the director and the editor's ability to go and let the, like we say all the time with sports, let the game come to you. 
I felt that, like that's yeah. exactly what happened with this movie, seeing you know the characters came to them instead of trying to force an agenda through and trying to funnel it you know, through the characters. They literally let the characters set the pace. But I will say they do bring the game there once in a while because they have some lines like, you know, in the, in the middle of the sit-in, right, where it's getting hard. What do the kids do? They turn it into camp. Yeah. And they literally said, it was camp. And then everybody's singing and dancing, and you get the same scenes, you know, echoed from before. Right. So they understand, in turn, as storytellers, they understand that if they're going to be obvious about something, if they're going to be Kenneth Branagh saying home, <laughs> home at the end of Dunkirk, yeah. well, they're going to let those – it's going to be in a big moment. If they're going to be obvious, it's going to be in a big moment, and it packs a wall up. Like at 3 o'clock in the morning, we're seeing the same kind of meeting during the sit-in that we saw at the camp on multiple occasions run by Judy Heumann. Uh, I, I just thought – I just thought that sit-in crystallized everything that they had done for the first 30 minutes. And then you get that book into the film, the, the latter 30 minutes, or it's really not the ep- it's not the last 30 minutes, but that, that section going from Act 2 to Act 3 that, that, that solves the movie, that solves this problem, politically speaking, it, it's a bookend to the beginning of the film. I can't believe life imitated art that way. Yeah. Right? Obviously, this is life imitating the earlier life that way. It, it is so poignant. And it blows my mind, and it gives me so much hope for humanity. Like no other movie I've seen in the last probably you know six months, and I've seen some good ones. So I, I don't know. You got any more best scenes here before we, you know, we, I guess we kind of talked about the worst already. Well, the one thing I did want to touch upon is I thought at the point when they bring him in, I thought it was so perfect. You know, instead of like a movie that is really just kind of like not glad-handing, but kind of like saying, isn't this great? This is great. And it leads to this and it leads to this. And you're so happy. You're on that, you know, that happy train going through. Mm -hmm. And then at a perfect time, they put a villain in place. And I thought, you know, the secretary, uh, (laughs) Joseph Califano plays this perfect, perfect position of the opposition that they needed. And, and you know, obviously, they they have more obstacles to come, but he is at a perfect moment where you're just coming out of that lull. You're getting right in the heat of the sit-in, where you're like, okay, this movie could have stalled, but they really sold him, and, and quite rightly, as a person who just didn't get what they needed, didn't get how important this is, and obviously, him sending that person. <laughs> In his stead, uh, you know, I didn't. No one feels bad for him. If you're watching this movie, he he tried to lock himself in a bathroom because he knew he was doing the wrong thing amongst a hostile yeah. group of people who wouldn't accept the terms that they were doing. Uh, that obviously, you said uh, like it was a separate but equal, uh, essentially scenario that oh, they God. painted. That yeah, disgusting. Yeah, and I I know you have it in your notes there to know the exact. Uh, response when he was shaking his head and and Judith was kind of you know saying I see you shaking your head but I know you don't get what I'm saying so uh, there's a, it's an absolutely brilliant moment uh, so 
for them to have a true villain right there at that moment is really smart on the way of the the filmmakers and i just wanted to highlight that as well oh he was a stooge right <laughs> he was a stooge an evil stooge and yeah she she knocks him dead in that that scene which is real life and then which which blows you away even more and she's like yeah and i'd appreciate it if you'd stop shaking your head in agreement because i don't think you understand what i'm talking about <laughs> and it's just it and then then obviously you get the voiceover narration it's one of those big moments where they're bringing game to it right like i said before but it's the right moment to do this where they're like and history changed in that moment yeah. and i'm like oh my god fucking a history did change in that moment where this 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 young woman just took a, a the guy who works for the government and all the powers that be and how many times have we heard in the movie that there's just no money for this that all the that everything stacked up against him and she just you know knocked him dead and he and he's he was a lame duck from that point on so I, I love that. You know, one thing I forgot to mention, I couldn't believe the press coverage was only done by one guy, right? I guess I couldn't believe it. It's sad. And then that one guy's press coverage of this entire sit-in on a slow news day changed the world. Yeah. Because they took they took his story on a slow news day and they put it they gave it a national spotlight. And a day later, the the con- Congress is moving on it and very unceremoniously they signed the 504 and and put that into law which was a first step to to the epilogue of the film where they 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 passed the civil rights bill later on yeah. well so I, I just thought that was I thought that was incredible the last moment I want to mention in terms of my best well there's two there's two that just made me cry and I, I when that kid is climbing the stairs of the Capitol building. Yeah. And whenever, when they all are. Yeah. But when that little girl, that little blonde girl is climbing those stairs, it broke me both watches. Yeah. It broke me. I'm just losing it. And it, but then it's so happy because the kid's so happy and then, and then everybody's so happy and it's a parade, but my God, that killed me. And then look, the Jacobsons talking about how they married, had a child. When he says, my son is the first person I've ever met in the world that doesn't care about my disability yeah. and you're just shown the two of them playing like a father and son. Oh, if that doesn't get you in the feels, I don't know I what know. will. And, and those, it's such a great couple. Uh, anytime they're on and telling a story, I, I love every minute of it. Like even the story of, uh, when Neil tells <laughs> about, uh, his mother's reaction to when he's trying to marry, Denise yes, is yes. unbelievable Funny. when he says, when we decided to get married, my mom <laughs> said to me, I understand why you want to marry a handicapped girl, but why couldn't you find a polio? It's like the funniest <laughs> line yeah. in the whole movie, and it's it's incredible. And she tells a bunch of good stories. She even tells the heartbreaking ones, like the story about her appendix yeah. and how the doctor didn't look at her as a sexual being when she actually just had gonorrhea. And she had her perfectly- right, but she makes that funny too I know. because she's like, "But I was proud of myself yes. for a moment there," and she's laughing. Yeah, and, and some amazing stories in there that really fire through. Um, also, one thing that Mike, I know you bring me on for these things for a certain thing that you, maybe you and uh, Mike want will not say into a microphone. Okay. And uh, the one thing I want to do here is champion crabs for a minute, just for. <laughs> And that's what you bring me here for. I understand. Because in my research, I don't know if you found this as well. The whole reason why this movie works is the footage from the Mm -hmm. camp. And the only reason why they have video footage from a camp is because this video troop, this video coalition was there to shoot the crab epidemic in the camp. They weren't there to do some, you know, nice story. 
They weren't, you know. The kids were quarantined, literally. Yeah. And so they were like, With let's, traps. you know, let's do this uh, story on this thing that ended up actually on New York Cable News. But they only did it because they had a crap epidemic. They weren't there because it's like, look at these great things the hippies are doing <laughs> with these people. It was actually just all about crap. So shout out to crabs and that funky video coalition <laughs> that decided to take up uh, this story for some reason. If that's not Oscar worthy, <laughs> Oscar narrative worthy, I don't know what is, Andrew. Absolutely. I am sick I am sick of all the noses in the air in that academy. You better pick this movie at the end of the day. I would be so mad yeah. if they don't. Uh, you know, what we do at the end of all these MMOOSPs, we kind of throw a final grade on there. I don't even know how to grade this because this is, again, it's next. It's a next-level experience. You know, even the, the down moments are, uh, are, are, are productive in a way because, like you said, even the one lull in the film pays off you know, when they show Jim LeBrecht's later life and how these bills literally affects his later life and how they affect the Shearer, uh, I believe, Gillespie. I forget their last name now. I, I have to scroll up too far. But how it affects their lives, yeah. you know, for, in modern times, you know, the whole movie led up to that epilogue. And we needed to see that epilogue. Yeah. And it's sad to see the camp destroyed at the end. That And, and that was that was sad. But then you have you know, Shearer there where she's like, I want to kiss the fucking dirt of this yeah. place because it made my life. Yeah. And I, I, I just think this, this movie's beyond goes beyond like a letter grade or whatever. So I mean, I have to give it an A at the end of the day, but that doesn't matter. Like this, this is one of those all timer great documentaries, all timer great movie experiences that I really hope people get to, to look at. What, what kind of grade would you throw on this thing? Yeah, I was definitely feeling like an A minus for this i think like mm -hmm. some of the lulls still exist on rewatch um and obviously it's intentional at times as far as like where they need to go and how i don't know how they could have resolved any bits of those lulls but they do exist um so but obviously there's so many good characters here there's so much good content uh and the message obviously is absolutely solid so you know a minus for me all day yeah, it's, I don't know if I've ever given a documentary an A before, I, but this this one just talking it talked me up. Like I was probably going to give it an A minus too, because again, there's that one part of the movie. It's like 15 minutes yeah. we're on board. Yeah, maybe maybe it is an A minus. I don't know. I yeah, even the, think these, these grades fluctuate throughout. Weirdly the year. enough, I also think the camp stuff goes a tinge too long, but again being it's like it's very nitpicky i understand we're at that part of uh <laughs> the, the of the <laughs> summation here so if we're gonna be nitpicky be nitpicky now but I, that's the only reason why i'm knocking it down even in the slightest a few points off a few points off but then again maybe you'll rewatch it and the highs will be just that like that was the thing for me like i rewatched it and the highs are just so high that i'll overlook a few of the lows i've done that and I, that <laughs> Yeah, so that that's where I'm at at this moment, and then I'll rewatch it again, and then I'll be like, oh, that low, they really shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll be like you, and we'll, we'll have to put the film critic hat on <laughs> at certain points. But still, like, if this is not an Oscar movie, I'm going to be pissed. I agree. And uh, I was, 
I was really happy to sit down with you and review this today. Hopefully Mike one feels better soon. Andrew, where can everybody find you on the internet? I think we're just going to record this outro as is right now. Where, where can everybody find you? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I am the host of the Netflix original movie podcast, the Nomcast. Uh, feel free to follow us on socials at Nomcast pod. Find us on the web, uh, you know, at nomcast.podbean.com or obviously wherever you get podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. Uh, even my YouTube starting to uh, get a little uh, views there too. So not so bad nice. there too. So go find us there. Uh, and for myself, I am at Jokes on Drew uh, for my comedy career. Also uh, on top of hosting this as well, which obviously that is on hold right now considering uh no bars or clubs or anything is open right now to perform comedy and so when that happens you know follow me and then you can follow uh what shows i got going on as well as all the news with the nomcast as well well love your podcast uh, i've just uh, been listening like crazy and all the great guests you guys get on there it's 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 one hell of a show and it's definitely my go-to for everything netflix original movies i can't believe we collaborated this much but We've had fun every time, man, so th thank you for doing this today, and everybody knows all our stuff. I I'm not going to do the auctioneer voice with the Mike One stuff and <laughs> words of wisdom, any of that today. I'll just I'll just say goodbye to everybody, so thanks, Andrew, and uh, really appreciate you it. You got it, and I definitely miss the human link tree, uh, Mike One, to do the outros. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to try. It took me like three takes to get the intro done, so no, we're, we're Mike, Mike, and Oscar. You can find us everywhere, blah, 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 blah. We'll see you next time. Thank you.